You know what's funny about um, your name? I can't help but think whenever I hear Patty, I always think of Patty Hurst, which is like <laughs> a, not a good thing. I know. <laughs> I I had to look that up one day. I didn't know who that was, but I've heard that name a lot before. I, I I only know the bare bones of the story. Um, it doesn't sound pleasant. It sounds like they brainwashed her and like kept her in a closet and sexually assaulted her. Like all these horrible things happened. So, um, how long? if you're the heiress of this multimillionaire and you think your life is set, and then that happens, like oh, so how long was that? A long time ago. I want to say in the '70s, because like when I was a kid, I was a kid in the, in the '70s and. I like there really weren't many patties around. It really wasn't a common name. It still isn't. Um, and I remember that was one of them. And then there's the rock singer, Patty Smith, who I, you know, get comments about all the time. But um, yeah, I don't know, actually. That would be a question for Google because yeah. I do not know. <laughs> Wait, oh, Patty, uh, Patty Smith is also a rock star. Yes. I, I'm glad you don't know. Like, it, 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 she's starting to kind of fade um from which which isn't bad i mean it's bad for her i guess but like it's mostly like baby boomers who really loved her and inevitably i get comments and it's fine but like i'm not a fan of hers i'm in in like she's yeah i just it's it happens all the time and then people be like oh we're i like your album and can you sing and i'm like no (laughs) no (laughs) i actually had a guy on facebook this is a while ago and like I replied to somebody's comment and then this guy started kind of engaging me, not in a bad way. And then this guy legit was like, Oh, wait a minute. You're not, you know, Patty Smith or whatever. And I'm like, okay, it's my face on Facebook. I look nothing like her. I'm 20 years younger than more than 20 years younger than she is. And like, do you really think that some, she's going to be engaging on fate? Like really? And so then I changed my Facebook thing to say, I am the Ann Arbor Patty Smith, not the famous one. I'm so sorry. Or something like really snarky. I'm like, like really? You're mad? Like, okay, I'm sorry. Like, ugh, so. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. Um, r- really quick before continuing on. Yeah. Um, my name is Chris. This is Cheetash. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, uh, Patty Smith, as we were just discussing. <laughs> Not the famous one. I'm so sorry to disappoint. <laughs> no, you know what? I, I'm not much into rock and roll. I like reading a lot more. So okay. I, Fair. Yep. yeah, mm-hmm. I enjoy this Patty Smith. <laughs> I've never you. even heard of the other one. Um, well, what's pretty fun is she's written a few books and it, at some point, it, maybe it's still true. Amazon had like some of her books were on my Amazon, like, it was hilarious. Oh, wow. Like people on Facebook were sharing the screenshots with me and saying, oh, look what's on your, your Amazon. And it was hilarious. Um, and I've heard both about her. I've heard she's very nice. And then I've heard she's not, but I'm sure that she's human. And, you know, obviously she's human. And like, she, you know, it probably has days where she's just like, ah. Um, so yeah, I, I have gotten I've had people come to presentations and I I assume they're joking when they're like, Oh, I thought it was going to be, you know, Patty, the singer. And I'm like, do you really think that she's out writing history books about Ann Arbor or whatever? Like, no, (laughs) (laughs) I I would, if if I were to venture to guess, I would, I would assume they're joking. Me too. I I assume no ill intent, but I'm like, if you legit, honestly, when I was writing my Ann Arbor history books, you know, I'm like, do you really think, 
you know, not to denigrate my work, but I'm like, do you really think a multi multi-millionaire is going to really be writing these very small, <laughs> tiny books? Like probably not. There's really, you know, but maybe who knows? So. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah and you mentioned, uh, you were just mentioning in Ann Arbor. Um, uh-huh. I wanted to ask you about that. Were, yeah. Are you like uh, born and raised in Ann Arbor, Michigan? No. So I was born in the northern suburbs of Detroit, uh, in Sterling Heights, Troy area. Um, and then when I was a teenager, my parents got divorced and mom was still in Sterling Heights. Dad was in Troy. So I truly straddled the line um, growing up. And I, but this is this is my memory. And, and I have nothing to prove or disprove this, but my memory is of being a small child and going to the University of Michigan Hospital. I was rather sickly. I had asthma and breathing problems. And I have this memory of being at a stoplight or a stop sign in Ann Arbor and seeing someone with bright blue hair walk in front of the car. And I thought this was the coolest thing in the entire world. I was like, oh my God, their hair is bright blue. That's amazing. And I, in my memory, turned to my mom and said, I'm going to live here one day. Um, which my mother, of course, has no memory of. And it probably didn't happen quite like that. I really doubt I had it together to say that. But that's the memory that lives in my head. And so um, I used to practice law. I used to be a legal aid lawyer. And um, eventually I made it out to Ann Arbor in my late 20s. And I have been here ever since. Wow. Wow, they're very cool. Yeah, I I went to, I lived in Ann Arbor for a year. I went to the University of Michigan. Okay. Mm -hmm. but I just, senior year, I lived up there on Packard and Stadium. It was very close to the big house. Yes. Yeah. By there's the high school and then there's a lot of house. Yep. I know exactly where that is. Yes. Yes. It, Saturdays, and I didn't have uh, football tickets. So I, you know, I just hung out at home, but yeah, mm-hmm. you could hear it loud and clear. Those are wild. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had the spring game yesterday and I just, I avoided the whole area because I, it's, I, I've gotten caught there before not knowing, like I know football Saturdays, but in the past I found myself sitting in traffic and I'll be like, Arr! and then I realized it's the spring game. So no, it, I mean, it's great for the town. It like doubles the size of the city. Um, I just, I'm a professional football fan, not a college football fan. So I just kind of avoid the whole, <laughs> the whole scene. Oh, I, I would do the same thing. I I only had tickets my freshman year, and then after that, I just decided not to do it. And even today, I would rather watch a game just in the comfort of my home versus mm-hmm. <laughs> braving the crowds and weather. And and... It's yeah, and you're sitting on that hard, uncomfortable, usually cold, sometimes wet steel bench and I there's I've gone to games but I find nothing appealing about it at all um I applaud the people who go I applaud the people that have the time and money to make it in their entire weekend that's great good for you um just not my it's not my thing (laughs) now you have in addition to your book uh Michigan Beer you also had a couple books about Ann Arbor as well yeah, it started in 2012 or 2013-ish. Um, I was, I'd gotten very interested in local history and I was just kind of writing here and there. I wrote for um, Concentrate Media uh, when there was a particular editor, he um, contracted me to write um 
oh, I forget what we called it now, but uh, I think the way back or something. And it was, it was really cool. It was, we, I would take a building or a business from the past, write an article about it. And then I would uh, look at what's there now. It was really fun. I did that for, you know, a couple of years. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And I just thought one day I, I would always see these sepia toned books in the bookstore and the pharmacy and all over. And I, I owned some and I thought, well, gosh, they're like this niche history publisher. They're a really good publisher. And I, I just wrote a I just emailed them a proposal and I said, well, what would you think about this idea for a book? And they were very nice. And they were like, well, that's a little out of our scope. It was basically looking at the entire county of Washtenaw and kind of going through in retrospect, I didn't know what I was doing. So it's not a good idea where I wanted to look at like, you know, education from beginning till now, and then the, you know, taverns from beginning till now and business. And it really would be way too big of a scope for it. One single book. Um, they were very nice and they encouraged me to try again. And so I, I pitched an idea about looking at Ann Arbor and we went back and forth and they, we ended up doing a, an images of America book, which is very heavy on pictures. And I, I really, it was a great first book. I had 180 images that I was able to find through the Bentley library and elsewhere and wrote little captions. And, and it was very fun. I really enjoyed it. And then later I thought, well, I'd like to do a, maybe a bigger, slightly bigger in scope book. And I ended up writing with my co-author, Britton Woodman, we wrote Vanishing Ann Arbor, talking about all the stuff that is no more, which was also a lot of fun. And then on a really small scale, I got contracted by a local public, by the People's Food Co-op in Ann Arbor and a local publisher to do a hyper-local book on the food co-op history. So um, for this book, I said, you know, I really want to expand the scope a little bit. And so what do I really like? Well, I like history. I really like Michigan. And I also have been writing about beer and they did have other state beer history books. So I said, well, okay. And I emailed my editor. He loved the idea and kind of took it from there. The rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally history. Um, uh, one thing you mentioned, this is really cool. So you, you used to work in law. Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of law? I did. So I, I use myself as a cautionary tale to students. Um, when I was in like junior high school, I somehow got it in my head. I wanted to be a lawyer and I, I couldn't tell you how, why it's, it, we didn't have anybody in the family. We didn't have like a big lawsuit where I was like, Oh, I want it just kind of came in my head. And so I just laser focused on that and went straight through college, straight to law school and taking and passing the bar. And it's interesting because it's not like a job that you, well, I don't know what other jobs are like, but you kind of get this law degree and then you certainly have the option to you know, hang out your shingle, as they say, and just start taking cases. But the problem with that is you also have to make money. And so as I found, I never did that, but the reality is if you have someone who needs to pay their mortgage and their car note and their student loan and their lawyer, well, lawyer is always going to come last. So there's, they don't teach you that in law school. They just teach you, like I went to university of Wisconsin and which was, which was in retrospect, a ginormous mistake, but that's another thing. And uh, so they taught you like the policy of law and you know, the, the, you read hundreds of cases, but practically I knew nothing. So I, 
fell into a situation. Um, I didn't have any debt. I was very fortunate. I had no debt coming out of law school. And so I was like, well, I can do kind of whatever I want. So I went into legal aid, which is absolutely a very, I can't think of the word, but like meritorious, you know, it's a very noble, noble area of law to help people. But it's also extremely stressful, uh, soul sucking, and not very well paying at all. So I did legal aid, which pretty much consisted of seeing people at the worst time of their life, either fleeing domestic violence or trying to get custody of a child or trying to get child support or filing bankruptcy or like their family has just died and they have to try and open an estate case and they have no money. So it was, it was rather depressing. You really, truly, they were very nice people, but you saw people at their worst. So, um, after about seven years of that, I, well, yeah, from 97 until 98, sorry, 98 till 2005, I did that. And, um, then I just had happened to apply to Washington Community College. I just sent out applications to teach just I don't know how I got the idea. I just sent out an application like to, to Schoolcraft and to Wayne County community, Oakland community and Washtenaw community. And I just got hired to teach government at Washtenaw Community College. And that was when I realized, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to, to teach. So I ended up going back to school at Eastern and getting certified in special education. And that's what I've been doing ever since with zero regrets, no regrets at all. Oh, that's an awesome story. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what it is with me and uh, lawyers. I've interviewed now, this will be two uh, two previous lawyers and then your legal career. So <laughs> I have like a knack for just attracting. <laughs> you, you, you sniff <laughs> us out. <laughs> the, the first guy that I interviewed, uh, actually, well, the second interview I ever did was with a uh, lawyer, Robert Cass, who does um, estate planning. Okay. And then I actually just last week, uh, I interviewed a entertainment lawyer. That was a really cool interview. He does, um, he represents people in record contracts. That would be cool. Yeah. And I, that whole industry fascinates me. Um, just like how artists make money off their music and how, they don't make a ton. They don't. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Super fascinating to me, and I love, I love music. I I love rap music. Um, not so much rock and roll, like I said earlier, but yeah, it, super cool talking to them, and out to you. So I, just keep the lawyers coming, I guess. Sniffing <laughs> <laughs> us out. Like. Yeah. <laughs> the the best yeah. though are the ex lawyers because they we always have stories to tell, and there's so many of us who just don't who have the degree and just don't practice because, you know, of course you can end up in a, in a good situation. Um, but it's, it's a lot of work and very crazy hours. And unless you really are that kind of top five, top tier percent there, you're probably not going to make as much money as you think people, um, now are talking about that, but in the two thousands and, um, when, you know, when I was out of law school, people go, Oh my God, why would you leave law? You're rich. And it's like, you're really not. I mean, it's kind of like, yes, absolutely. You have people who make, who happen to get that case that makes a bunch of money 
or you happen to be the person who ends up in a big firm and you're willing to spend 16 to 18 hours a day devoted to that. And, you know, bless your heart if you are. Um, and yes, you absolutely will make a ton of money, but most do not. And it's kind of like any business where a lot, there's that big clump in the middle. And I worked for small firms for a little while, making less than I do do as a teacher, considerably less than I do as a teacher. Plus I had no time off. Plus I had pension. Plus I had, you know, no union and sick days. So, and when I tell people that they're usually like, whoa, my gosh. And, and, and you think about it, there's that big clump in the middle that are small firms. So what are you doing? You're taking appointments from the court, which traditionally don't pay well. You're trying to get people in off the streets. Most people don't really have money for a lawyer. And unless you, you know, back in the day, you could do medical malpractice and personal injury, but I know they've capped. I know medical malpractice, we had a cap on it and you can't get, in some rare cases, you can um, get a huge settlement. But most of the time, it's it's really it's really difficult to do. So it's kind of like with writers, people think, oh, you're going to make money and almost no writers make, unless you marry somebody. I mean, most people I know who are full-time writers married a doctor or they married a professor or they married a finance guy. So they don't have to work so they can be authors. But if they had to support themselves, they would have to be something else. Um, so, and, and, you know, again, Hey, if that works, all right. But um but yeah, it's like with lawyers, like there are absolutely those that are going to be in a firm or work their way up and they can attract business and make more than six figures every year. But that, and I don't really know what the norm is, to be honest, but if you're probably like, I would say the majority, you're either going to be working all your waking hours or you're probably going to be making a middle of the road salary. And that's, that's what I try to tell students. And once I once I talk about the hours that the big firms want, they inevitably are like, nope, I'm out. Um, and I can't blame them. I was too. I'm like, I, there's no way. I mean, no way could I do even honestly 10 hours. I have ADHD. I can't. There's, I don't think there's anything I can do for 10 hours straight without. So. I also think I have some sort of attention thing. I mm -hmm. can't concentrate on. I mean, for this, like, I'll be focused, but right, 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 <laughs> right. No, if I like it, I'm great. But yeah. <laughs> uh, immediately after this, though, I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off, just ah, <laughs> doing all this stuff. Um, for your book, um, Michigan Beer. Uh, let me ask you this: Do you, and we were kind of getting into it before we started recording, but you love beer. Mm -hmm. I do. <laughs> Fancy that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how, I guess, what currently, like, what are your go-to beers right now? What's your, What are some of your favorites? I, in that question, I, I'll have a different answer like two weeks from now. But last weekend, I did a beer presentation in um, – Wayland, Michigan, on the western side of the state. And it's I, I've spent the year, we can talk about that later. Um, I've spent the year going around doing beer presentations, and I make it a point to try to check out the local breweries. And my um my best friend and I, we had a girls' weekend and we went out last weekend and uh went to Tantric Brewing Company in Allegan, and that was those beers were excellent. I had I usually do a flight. When I go to a brewery, I get a flight. So I, I'm drinking an entire like pint of one kind of beer. I can absolutely do it, but it 
I don't know. I just, I like to have the little samples. So, um, and if folks aren't familiar with that, a flight is usually four to five beers, usually anywhere from four to six ounces. So you're getting about, you know, a pint to maybe two bottles or 24 ounces worth. Um, and I had, I had stouts. I had, I got a Mexican lager, which I'm really getting into the Mexican lager. Um, and just really quick background, there's lagers and there's ales. And mostly what you get from a brew pub is an ale, your IPA, your stout, your Hefeweizen. And they're a little bit maltier, chewier, sometimes you might say, fermented shorter periods of time at warmer temperatures, whereas a lager ferments at colder temperatures for a longer period of time and tend to be crisp and clean and served cold. Kind of like if you drink um, Labatt or a Miller, those are lagers, the light straw colored so I got a Mexican lager, which is a style I very much have been drinking a lot of lately. I also got, I think I got they had a Pilsner, another type of lager. So I did a flight of mostly Pilsners, like three Pilsners and then an, a light ale. And then I did like, they had a couple different stouts and I think a porter. I usually like stouts. Those tend to be my favorite um, types of beer. So just a shout out to the Cantrick. They're really good food, really great atmosphere. And then we also went to, um, I'm going to draw a blank. I'll have to look this up. And like, there was another brewery went to not far from there and I'll have to look up the name because I'm drawing a blank. So I won't even, I won't even labor on that. Um, so that has been like a recent thing I've gone to. I also have been to batch brewing recently and they are excellent. They are a small brewery in Detroit. Recommend highly to check them out. Uh, there, I also had a Mexican lager. So that I that must be the thing I'm drinking right now are Mexican lagers and stouts. So from one end of the spectrum to the other. This just goes to show my um ignorance in this in this field. I when you said flight, I was totally thinking like a plane. Like you took flights. <laughs> See, to that's be... why I said that's why I'm like, I better say what this is. Because <laughs> if you didn't know, so if you're not going to brew pubs. But I, I would recommend anyone who's who's not a huge beer person to do that to I mean if I went to a wine bar I'm not a wine person at all uh, I would ask for a flight or samples or something to see what you like everyone's not going to like beer I actually am suspect of people who are like oh you just haven't tried the right one you're gonna like it. I mean you may not I mean I'll be honest I haven't liked most wines that I've tried um and that's okay and there's some people who just don't like beer and that's okay I mean if you're open to trying it I'm open to trying wines I just I'm not really a fan, a fan of a lot of them, but with beer, there is probably like with wines, there's a huge palette of what, and a huge um, spectrum of what you can get. Is there a rivalry between people who love beer and who love wine? You know, that's interesting. Um, uh, Probably about 10 years ago, I had, oh, I still know this person, but I have a friend who's a wine connoisseur and he has this, he and his wife have a, have a wine cellar that is like, it was like probably the size of my living room. And we would do beer and wine dinners because he's also a very good cook. And so we would have like four courses and we'd have like a cheese appetizer and he would have a wine and I would have a beer. And then we would do like some sort of super salad course, wine and beer, a main dish with a wine and a beer and a dessert with a wine and a beer. And he would bring some of his wine friends and I would bring some of my beer friends. And they're often, it was interesting. Often the wine people would say, well, you know, the beer actually went better with 
the dessert than the wine did and vice versa. The beer people would say that. So I don't know if there is a rivalry, but there, there is not a ton of crossover. I, I do know people who like both. Um, there's not a huge crossover. Like, um, I, I mean, I love cocktails. Like I'm a really gotten into cocktails. Um, and I like beer. I know some people who like cocktails and wine. It's interesting. Then you have like the bourbon fans and a lot of my friends who are bourbon fans don't like beer, but some do. So yeah, that would be like an interesting experiment. Like go around and like, see, are you a fan of both? Yeah, it, it, it's not like a rivalry like um, like Michigan and Ohio State. No, or, you know. <laughs> Michigan and Ohio, no, that I hope not. No, we're not like fighting in the streets, trashing each other's cars. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I've heard I've heard horror stories. That's I for have sure. Too. Yeah. <laughs> now, when you tra- when you travel, like if you're traveling out of state, do mm-hmm. you also like to visit breweries in other states? My husband, uh, I, I'm actually, I should say, I'm, I'm not a big traveler. I don't like to fly. Um, as I mentioned, I have ADHD. And then, of course, with that comes a side of anxiety. So for me, traveling is a huge undertaking because it's disrupting my routine. It's taking me out of a comfort zone and putting me in an airplane that I presume is going to crash. And so that kind of, you know, lowers the merriment a little bit for me. Um, but when I do, when we, my husband loves to travel. So of course I go with him. Um, he will often lure me to things and places by saying, well, there's a brewery. <laughs> so we'll often end a day of adventuring at a brewery, which he definitely, he likes beer, maybe not as into it as me, um, but we'll end our, our day at a brewery. And then I'm usually like pretty happy. I'll get to try something new. Um, we went to Seattle about 10 years ago. And as I had heard, the Pacific Northwest is very heavy on hops, on IPA, hop forward beers. I am not a fan of American hops at all. So it was kind of interesting to try to find the breweries that would have not IPAs on the menu. We did find some. We did find some pretty good beer, but uh, that was that was fun. Um, but even going out of state, like if I have to go to Illinois, uh, we tend to revolve and rotate our stuff around a brew pub or two. Uh, what makes what makes Michigan like such a such a like stand out as far mm-hmm. as beer like, or does it stand out amongst other states? I I absolutely think so. We have had a robust scene for um, really coming up, you know, on thirty years now, and that's something that I talk about in the book and in my presentations about how the law changed in 92 to allow for tap rooms, brew pubs. And um, that opened up just a flood of brew pubs and tap rooms all over the state. Some of those places are still around, which is good. But I think we are in a unique situation in that we have the best water. I mean, so right there in water, can absolutely make or break a beer. I have had kind of the same recipe, you know, same brewers, but different water systems. And you can tell, I mean, it's, 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 you're not necessarily going to like, oh, I can tell this is different, but there's a little bit of a difference, I think. Um, So we have the water, we can grow the grains, we can grow the hops, the yeast is all over, and of course, by yeast strains. But I feel like we are in, we have that going for us. We have had a many periods of very crappy economy, economical, no, I didn't say that right, economic economy, bad economy, where things we had, 
the auto industry and then that kind of went away. Now it's kind of coming back. But we had most of my adult life, I feel like Michigan's been in some sort of distress as far as jobs go. So we have, and we, because of that, maybe because of that or whatever, we have people who are creative and who are willing to take risks. So I know people who have lost jobs in other industries and have gone on to become brewers or open a brewery. And again, we, we have the raw materials. If we absolutely had to, we could, we could make a lot of beers just with what we create. We make, you know, we have agricultural diversity. So you have fruits you can put in the beer if you want. We have people who are, like I said, are just incredibly creative um, ways of, of making unique, interesting beers and kind of your standard four ingredients, Bavarian purity law beers. And we have a lot of crappy weather. And I have no idea if there's a correlation between, I have no idea about this, but I feel like since we you have a lot of really crap weather. There's something to be said for going into a cozy brew pub in like December and having a nice stout or something. And then again, we have the beautiful summers where you can be on your boat or at the beach and you can be enjoying a Mexican style lager. So, you know, I, I feel, I don't know. I just, I feel like we have so much going for us here mm -hmm. and that helps make us the great beer state as they say. <laughs> that, that's really cool. Um, with the history of beer in Michigan and uh, how it got started, was it so? It was it very heavily based on uh, European immigrants coming over and starting, you know, concocting like different different beers. Yeah, and I, I divide the book as you probably saw into the four different parts, and very very much dependent on um, people come coming from England people coming from France, Belgium, even Prussia, France, they were coming over and they traditionally made ales. So those are your, your stouts, your porters, your table ales, they call them sometimes. And then came the Germans. And Germans almost exclusively back then made lagers. Lagers were seen by Germans and by others as requiring precision. Like Germans kind of looked at ales with disdain, kind of like, oh, anyone can make an ale. It makes German ingenuity to make a really good lager. And it really played out in Detroit where initially you had a lot of people coming over from, from England, from France. They were here, they set up shops, started making ales. Then the Germans started arriving, started making lagers. And there was actually kind of this, I would say it's the battle of the beer where it's like, who, which is gonna reign supreme, the lagers, the ales. Um, Stroh's was, of course, the biggest brewery for many, many decades. He was German. He made lagers. I don't know if they ever branched into ales. They might have, but predominantly he made lagers as a German. He was a Bernhard Stroh was the third generation master brewer from his family. So um, with the heavy German influence, yes. Um, I'm more there people here brewing. And that, that is something that I really wanted to find more about um, Native Americans and what their brewing habits were. When I pitched the book to my editor, as always, my timing is impeccable. When I got the proposal in, it was like beginning of March, 2020, which like, oh, what else is happening then? Oh, okay. And I'd even said to him, you know, I'm going to spend the summer of 2020 going to like historical libraries and historical societies. And I'd like to really find the stories. What were Native Americans doing? Um, were there African-Americans in their communities brewing beer? Were there women? Boom, none of that happened because of the pandemic. 
and and we and I and I don't even know if those stories have been preserved because one thing we don't do very well here and maybe elsewhere, maybe everywhere, is really preserve those stories that of of the non-mainstream people doing things. I mean, I would love to know what about more about Native American brewing styles, techniques, what they I know they made stuff. Um, and I know the UP, there's a little bit of, of material I found about what went on in the Upper Peninsula, but it, I would love to know um, just what did it look like? What what was it like? Um, one thing I did find out in my research was Detroit, before it was Detroit, when it was the fort and the ribbon farms, um, they had a brewer. Cadillac brought over a man to be the brewer. And so they, I don't know what it, the beer tasted like. It probably wasn't like anything we might enjoy today. But the fact is there was brewing happening. Of course, hard cider was always popular once you had apple trees. So stuff was happening. Um, and that, if I decide to do another book one day, that's something I'd really like to look at. <laughs> you know, as a side note to this podcast and YouTube channel started in March of 2020, as well. So timing <laughs> as usual is impeccable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Lots of, lots of new things, you know, projects, business ideas, I'm sure too. Uh, lots of things started March, 2020. Mm-hmm. Well, people had time yeah. and their creativity it was kind of, yeah, kinda, it was, I don't want to say nice because it's horrible things happened, but there was room for people to be creative and, and try and do new things. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and speaking of, uh, you had mentioned the UP mm-hmm. a- and um, Native Americans brewing. Is this where the story of does this have anything to do, or yeah, does this have anything to do with the spruce beer that you had mentioned in that part yes, of the book? Yes, that yes, that Native Americans were brewing with spruce, and because that's what there was. So one thing I did see just throughout history is you brewed with what you had. If you had agave, if you had rye, if you had maize, whatever you had, that's what you used um, to brew with. So they did use spruce to brew up in the Upper Peninsula. And people have actually recreated spruce beers. Uh, Shorts, I believe, had a, I forget what it was called, but they had a spruce beer. Um, One of my friends Mike O'Brien is this very well-known home brewer. He's absolutely magical. He can make beer out of like so many things you wouldn't think would make beer. And he made spruce beer. And it was, I'm not a huge fan of the, the that kind of that juniper-y kind of taste, but it was good. I mean, it was a solid good beer. So there are people that will that will do it. And if it's not done well, it can taste like a Christmas tree air freshener. But if it's done well, it can be like a nice, you know, kind of crisp, clear, hopefully beer for you. And was there some sort of, before using the spruce and beer, do you know, were they using spruce for like other things like um, medical sort of like herbal remedies? Uh, yes, I believe that was medicinal back um, then. They, I know that there was, to get vitamin C, there was like tree bark that you could oh. consume and so trees were used in ways, and again, that's like that's history that I I would love to know more about. Um, another thing, another part of beer 
that's been used medicinally or hops. So if you are, so hops are those green kind of cone, flowery cone shaped things. People who like IPAs, India pale ales, tend are hot, we call them hop heads. They like hops. Um, and hops were first used medicinally, which I thought was kind of interesting that the reason I know that I had never thought about it. Someone at a presentation asked me, they said, well, you know, I, I talk about in my presentations, how when hops kind of first got put into beer in like the 700 AD era, era 700s. And I was like, you know, that's a good question, but we have the world in our pocket and a woman pulled out her herself and she just Googled it. She said, Oh, hops were used as medicine. We're all like, Oh, that makes sense. So again, it gets her, you know, like a little herbal kind of thing. Um, so it's kind of interesting to think that stuff that we now drink and enjoy at one point, and maybe even still now is being used medicinally. Yeah. So, so you're saying I should drink more beer. Yes, you'll feel better. Well, I mean, it was prescribed as medicine, you know, like I, 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 in my presentations, I talk about uses of beer throughout the ages. And one of them was medicinal. I always want to say medicinal, but it's medicinal. Um, and I kind of thought about it and there's kind of two prongs to that. I think that how does beer, I always ask the audience, how does beer make you feel? And it's like, oh, you kind of feel no pain. Well, there you go. And also what was out water like back then? I mean, unless you happen to live near a stream, and that was not used as wastewater and bathing, getting really good water was, was difficult. Even the Detroit River, when I was reading about the man, Joseph Parent, who was brought over by Cadillac to brew, he had to use the Detroit River, which was, they just, it was described as questionable. It was a questionable source of water. So, cause there was, I mean, all sorts of stuff going in there and people, putting stuff in there. So um, it kind of makes sense to me that that beer and alcohol in general would be prescribed as medicine for people. Yeah, that I think of the same thing with um, pure chocolate or cacao is mm -hmm. you think of it like, oh, it's a dessert. You know, you have it on cake, cookies, what have you. But it's actually one of the highest sources of antioxidants um, cacao is. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's like super high in the, I don't know what it stands for, but it's called the ORAC score of um, okay. level of antioxidants and okay. super high. It's like higher than, um, I remember seeing it compared to like turmeric. It was higher than that, uh, higher than um, vitamin C, I think even too. Wow. Yeah, I'd have to fact check myself on that. But yes, lots of antioxidants in there. And I, I eat it almost every day. So, well, dark chocolate, I know is actually, in, is pretty, yeah, it's pretty good for you. So there you go. See, <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> we're just, eating healthy. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, I just, you know, I want to stay healthy. I want to, you know, live a long life. So maybe I should start drinking there you go. Or you could have like a dark chocolate beer and then you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. It's going to have like the cho dark chocolate in the mash and you'll get those benefits as well as the, see, there you go. Have a nice stout. Wow. They they actually make that? There are. So you can really, so when you're making a beer, you have your your giant soup pot or your mash tun, whatever you have, and you put your grain, you put the hot water, and there's a whole process, of course. But you can kind of, I mean, in one hand, put whatever you want in what we call the mash in the in that, that kettle. Um, so I'll just list some interesting beers I've had in uh, this to me. So now this is kind of commonplace to me, but beers with chocolate. Um, 
Arbor Brewing makes or made a Mackinac fudge chocolate stout. Um, coffee is really common to put in a stout and even not even like in blonde ales and lagers, people are putting coffee in. I think it's, it's pretty delicious. I think, um, chocolate Girl Scout cookies, those thin mints, um, right brain does CEO stout with thin mints, right brain really, I think has done some really creative things. They're up in Traverse city, smaller brewery. I really admire them and like them. They did kind of this infamous asparagus beer where they put asparagus beers in the mash. And I had friends who really liked it. And I, I tried it, but I'm not an asparagus fan. So I was like, no, but I applaud them for even thinking to do that. Uh, they also have like a cherry pie beer where they put whole, uh, Grand Traverse cherry pies in the mash. Um, Shorts does a lot of really interesting things with all sorts of different fruits. Um, a really good beer. My wine friends, I, I tend to get them started on short soft parade, which has four different kinds of fruits in it. And it's probably the most wine-like beer I can think of. So I tend to recommend that to people. Um, oh my gosh, I've had hibiscus beer, mint beer, red hot beer, salsa beer, um, sweet corn beer, any kind of all manner of fruit beer. Um, there's tomato beer, shorts, bloody beer. A lot of these are one-offs that come to festivals, which is always kind of fun to try. Um, for a while, my husband and I went through this phase of peanut butter beer and, and nut beers. We went to the Fall Beer Fest at Eastern Market years ago, um, six, seven years ago, and we just focused on peanut butter beers, which were quite delicious. I love peanut butter though. So again, if you don't like, if you don't like coffee, you're probably not going to like a coffee stout, but if you do it, there's some great stuff out there. So yeah, so you can, you can be as creative as you want, or you can follow the 1516 beer purity law, which says four things only water hops, grains and yeast and you can have thousands of kind of beers just from those four ingredients wow that i'm not gonna lie that peanut butter beer that sounds pretty good there is um peanut butter porter is really good um then there's i have like a thai peanut beer i think that was shorts and it was those thai like a thai peanuts a little bit more spicy i've had peanut butter and jelly beer which is just like the fruit you know what i mean like strawberries or whatever wow. um oh a really good stout one of my favorites is neapolitan stout from saga tuck brewing so it's like neapolitan ice cream and some years it's a little heavier on chocolate some years a little heavier on strawberry some vanilla so that's really good um but yeah there there are some really creative brewers and like i said there are some as creative brewers just messing around with different yeast strains different hops different grains and that also produces absolutely so i, I always feel like i sometimes i feel like I, I spend too much time talking about the unique interesting beer um not enough really giving props and credit to the brewers that are using you know four ingredients and coming up with these amazing beers amazing pilsners or um you know, blonde ales or whatever no that's really cool i i did not know that there were so many different varieties wow mm -hmm. um looking at the west side of our state mm -hmm. um specifically grand rapids which is mm -hmm. a cool city um mm -hmm. i've been there quite a bit of times and grand rapids is is it is it true? I, I forget if you wrote about this in the book, if uh, Grand Rapids is known as Beer City. Beer City, mm-hmm. 
I've been asked about that. And all I can, I I think it's a clever marketing um, label, but it's not undeserved. Grand Rapids has, I honestly lost count. At one point, years and years ago, I used to know I'd been to most of them. And now I've gone out there like for a weekend and you can't hit all the breweries in a weekend. You would need more time and you'd be drinking a lot. Um, So in the area, in Grand Rapids and the immediate area surrounding it, like I said, I'd have to actually look at the number, but they are just so many different breweries, so many different varieties. Um, I know a really popular one is Brewery Vivant, which is Belgian, Belgian beer styles. It's in a former um, funeral home, I believe, or chapel. No, I think it's a funeral home or chapel. Uh, Of course, there's Founders, which is... One at one point, just I don't know if there's still probably in the top three, four craft breweries in the in the state as far as production. Um, and they're right there on Wealthy Street in downtown Grand Rapids. And there are so many, like I'm drawing a blank on all the ones I've been to out there, but I've never had a disappointing experience, which is kind of nice, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of nice to say. Yeah, that uh, I have I've been to the founders, um. Actually, yeah, I have been to the Founders Brewery, actually, um, for dinner. Yeah, because they serve. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. it's solid food, yeah. Yeah, that was it. And then is the other big one in that area uh, a Grand Rapids Brewing Company as well? They are bigger ones. So there was a historical Grand Rapids Brewing Company, which was really big. And this one, I, I've actually not been out there, which shame on me for that one. But yep, they're a bigger operation out there. Uh, they are trying to think of the ones I, I'm going to have to kind of look this up. Grand Rapids Brewery. Um, oh, yeah. So now apparently New Holland Brewery from Holland has opened up a, a brew pub in Grand Rapids. Um, there's Vivant that I mentioned. Grand Rapids founders. Um, there are so many. I mean, they're, I'm just looking at google and if you go on a map or you go to brewers the michigan brewers guild you can see all the breweries and it's there's oh my goodness i mean there's like one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen like 16 or 17 just glancing at the map that i can see in grand rapids and um so it's again like i said it's not an unearned moniker it absolutely mm-hmm. you know i just but i think like someone's like well that's someone had asked me at a presentation they're like you know who who bestowed that on them and i'm like i kind of think they might have come up with that themselves so um and there was another question someone asked me like why doesn't detroit have more breweries but there's more breweries opening up in, in detroit all the time um i do history tours for detroit history tours and um so if anyone's interested Detroit History Tours, great, great company. I love them. I love working for them. And we go to three breweries. I can't say which ones because it's a surprise when you go there. But we really had a lot to pick from. And uh, I can say that one of my favorites is Batch, which I just think is such a great place right across the parking lot from Brew Detroit. Um, There's also Nain Rouge, a little bit newer of a brew pub. Highly recommend it. It's like at 666 Selden Street. So you can remember that address, I think, pretty easily. Um, Eastern Market, I've not been there, but I've heard great things. So there's all these like awesome things just going on all over the state. We're we're very lucky. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, if, if people should 
even from out of state too, like Ohio, Illinois visit Grand mm-hmm. Rapids. Um, oh yeah. And the lake, I mean, close by Lake Michigan too. Oh, and, uh, oh absolutely. You could do an entire, like just go up that coast of, of Lake Michigan and then just, you could hit all sorts of amazing places. I mean, and, and I have done like brewcations before where like I kind of base oh, everything nice. around um, where the brew pub is and then we'll go there and then get a hotel. And I, I certainly, I know up in Bel Air, Shorts is up in Bel Air and Shorts is just this hugely popular, very successful, wonderful brewery. And people would go up there as tourists that hadn't before, including myself. Like I never would have thought to go to Bel Air. And then about, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, uh, I went, I we went up there and I was like, this, it was a beautiful town and this cute downtown. And then there's shorts. So it's, it's really cool that the fact that when you think about like breweries are actually, there's like brew tourism, which I think, which was not really a thing 20 years ago, even. And now you absolutely from out of state could come up here, take a weekend in the summer, take a week, whatever, enjoy the lakes and have some amazing beer while you're here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You, one thing you mentioned earlier, uh, mm-hmm. this uh, in in 1992, um, mm-hmm. the you were saying that there was legislation passed that opened the door for um, tap rooms and brew pubs to be established. Um, yeah, yeah. What what was it like? So before 1992, mm-hmm. like what was the rule in regards to setting up your own like establishment? It was, um, I don't think this was an offshoot of prohibition. I don't know where the law came from, but the law was that you could not be given a license. You could not have a brewery and a tap room on the same spot. So like if I wanted to brew across the street to serve in my bar restaurant, that's okay. But if I already own a bar restaurant, I can't, I couldn't put in equipment and start making my own beer to sell on the premises. Oh, and it was, you know, a- after, after World War II, there was so much consolidation. And I mean, by the, by like, by the early eighties in Michigan, we only had, we had Frankenmuth, G. Heilman and Stroh's were the only three places brewing in Michigan. I mean, there was, of course, you know, everything was getting imported from Milwaukee and St. Louis, whatever, but it was not a, it was not a robust scene in Michigan. Uh, I talk a little bit about the real ale house in Chelsea. They were, they started brewing beer in 82, but the problem was they couldn't sell it on site. They would, they had to sell it to bars and restaurants. They had to sell it to party stores and it was just cost prohibitive. So fortunately in the eighties, early nineties, Uh, The person who owned the uh, traffic jam and snug in Detroit challenged the law first in court and then in the legislature. And that's what led to the December 92 Public Act 300 became law, which allowed you to have basically on premises make sales of what you just made. And that's when people started getting licenses. And then by like 95, 96, I list some of them in the book. There was a substantial, you know, there were a lot of brew pubs popping up. A lot of them are no longer with us. But people kind of started getting in on it then, and it's just continued to roll on. I think last I heard, we had right around 400 breweries in our state. Wow. Mm -hmm. That that seems like a lot. Mm -hmm. It's impressive. Yeah, very impressive number. Um, You know, it's funny, too. 
you had mentioned in your books uh, some things about uh, prohibition, and mm-hmm. I I did not know this um, that Michigan was was Michigan the first state to ratify prohibition. To ratify well? repeal, yes. So oh, okay. what had happened was we actually went dry before nationwide prohibition. Michigan went dry May first, nineteen eighteen, and it was. I mean, it was. I think it was always in the cards. I feel like, I mean, of course I'm looking back with a hundred years hindsight, but there were a lot of temperance and prohibition groups in Michigan and probably everywhere, honestly. But uh, early 1900s, we passed a law called the local option law, which said municipalities such as cities and counties, if you want to go dry, you can, you can vote to grow wet or to go wet or dry. So there's a, there's a map I've seen where like the UP and upper lower Michigan is pretty much all dry. But then down by us in Southeast Lower, it was kind of like a patchwork quilt. Um, I know like Jackson went back and forth between every two years would revote. Um, Washtenaw stayed wet. Wayne stayed wet. I think Oakland did go dry for a little while. Or I don't think it went dry. I think they just prohibited saloons or something. I don't know. They, they did something. Um, Lenaway, Monroe went dry. Uh, and there was, you know, there was, like I said, there was kind of that back and forth. Um but we were the first state to to uh, ratify for repeal to make up for all that. Uh, I think just everyone just realized what a complete and utter disaster and failure prohibition turned out to be. Um, probably could have foreseen it as people, as we saw during the pandemic too, people are going to drink, hopefully in moderation, hopefully they're safe. If they know they have the alcoholic addictive gene, hopefully they can steer clear of it. Um, but barring any of that, they are going to drink. And that is what happened during Prohibition, is people continue to drink. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I've heard the, <laughs> heard the stories. Yeah. Um, to, today, I, are, there still, are there still wet and dry, count, or, uh, dry counties today? I believe down south, I have heard tales. Um, the kind of the remnants we had was it's gone now, but on the western side of the state, uh, near I don't know the exact county, but I know Holland had the blue law where you couldn't sell beer on Sunday. And I know there was a new Holland beer, I think it was called Blue Sunday, based on that. And then it's gone. And then in the state, you couldn't sell mich- uh, beer on Sundays before noon which I realized when I'd gone to a Lions game years ago and I went to get a beer and they're like, Oh, you're gonna have to wait like 10 minutes. And I'm like, I'm at the Lions game. I have to drink now. What are you talking about? And they're like, they're like, no, no, no. And I was like, oh, what? Um, and that's gone now, thankfully. But um, I know there are counties down South, which blows my mind. Like, I, I mean, all you have to do is we have cars. You just have to drive to the next, you know, whatever <laughs> yeah. County, but oh, okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe it, I don't know if it, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'd want to live there. I don't think my politics would align with the people who <laughs> necessarily would live there. So, oh, so this this is like the deep south, like uh, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida. I want to uh, say Kentucky because oh, Kentucky. Um, it has some. Um, yeah, and that's that's not see. too far south. Yep, they have. Uh, yep, there are dry counties in Kentucky. And I know that, which is interesting because of their, the bourbon that they make. And I, right. the re, yeah, it's like there's about 10 dry counties as of last year in Kentucky, which is not that far. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had to go there to get my car during the, 
pandemic, um, there were like, it was really hard to get used cars. So we had to actually take a road trip down to Kentucky to get the new car, well, new used car. And it's not that far. I mean, really, and it's a little close. So yeah. <laughs> like, ugh. but, and I further down South too, might, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I can say that my dad lives in Florida for half the year and I visit every year and they're, they're starting to get more brew pubs down there. I'm kind of proud of them. It started out oh, when nice. I first started visiting like 10, 12 years ago, I was like, Oh, bless their hearts. They're starting to get more breweries. I'm so, I'm so happy for them. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, they they can't just have all the golf courses. They got to even it out between exactly. Like, Come on, guys. You know, and... you're playing golf. You need something good to drink. So, <laughs> yeah. oh, very cool. Um, how has over these last like three years? So, over the course of the pandemic, has and I know we were kind of just touching on it. Mm-hmm. Has that affected like? overall like as a country or even in the state like beer consumption have do you know like have people been consuming more beer or less beer um in general from what i saw i I believe drinking like per capita drinking did increase during the pandemic i don't know about beer specifically um in my case i don't drink at home it's just a rule i have for myself um so i hardly drink at all during the pandemic so once restrictions starting getting lifted. I remember actually going out somewhere and I had a, a flight of beer. I'd maybe, you know, 12, 16 ounces. And I started getting a really bad headache and like a buzz. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, um, I always keep it in moderation. I generally limit myself to 16 to 24 ounces a go, but it's never, you know, really affects me, but I was like, oh my goodness. Um, it, I mean, it, it, it affected like the industry. Absolutely. Now there's actually pretty good numbers out about, um, there was an increase I know in last year, I think it was our 2021, the numbers of gallons of craft beer did increase. So the market share did increase. Um, but on more of a micro level, we did lose breweries, brew pubs. Absolutely. I mean, if you were not able to pivot, and they had to pivot very quickly to growlers. And my friend who owns a brewery in Milan, he said, you know, first they did growlers and there was a growler shortage. So then they got like plastic growlers and there was a plastic growler shortage. Um, and a growler is the usually a glass 64 ounce carry out jug you can get. And then they did howlers, which are like 32 ounces. And then they tried, you know, they had a can and they also had to start doing like sandwich take, you know, food takeout. And selling stuff in the parking lot and then, you know, trying to people had having outdoor spaces and beer gardens. And then so it absolutely affected. And and I there were many reasons I think some places did close. Um, And I think if you just if you were kind of newer, if you didn't, if you weren't able to pivot very quickly, um, it would be very difficult to to stay in business. So it absolutely affected the landscape. Um, I don't know actual numbers. I don't know if the Brewers, Michigan Brewers Guild probably kept track of it, like how many we lost and how many, you know, but um, again, safe to say we are, there are new places opening, the new place opened in Northville. Um, I know someone who's going to get a nano brewery going, I think it's in Livonia. I think it's around that, around the area. Um, and there's, there's new places opening all the time. And that is the very good news about beer in Michigan. And sticking along with this topic of like beer in today's world, mm-hmm. um, is it, is it pretty hard to start a brewery today just with you have all mm-hmm. these other breweries mm-hmm. and then on top of that, you have, you know, 
I mean, just Amheuser Busch being mm-hmm. like the huge oh, yes. mm-hmm. company that they are. Is it hard to start a brewery and then try to gain, you know, customers and market share from mm-hmm. just everybody mm-hmm. else? Yeah, I would, I would, I would love to hear if you ever want to do this as a podcast, have like some brewers on, um, something I can tell you just what I've heard from friends. Um, there are folks who love brewing as a hobby. It's, they love it. Some of those people will start professional brew pubs and it's great and they love it. Others, you've now turned your hobby into work. Um, like my hobby, I love public speaking and I love storytelling and I love doing all that kind of stuff. If I had to get up and do it for six hours every day, I think I would get very tired of it very quickly because now it's work and now I have to do it. Um, but some people, it works out great. Um, you need a very good business plan and marketing plan. And I think there are folks who in any industry are like, oh my God, I love sewing or I love baking. I'm going to start a bakery because they like to bake, but then all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, I actually have to, you know, I have a friend who has a bakery and I mean, he works his butt off. I mean, he's up at like three, four in the morning and he has to, you know, there is more, it's more to it than this, than than just that. Um, And the thing that I've said, someone in the audience asked me a similar question once. And I said, you know, if you, if it was 1994 or five and this new law has just passed and all these new licenses, um, it was probably if you didn't have the best beer, it still might've been okay. And I don't know if that's the case because I was actually in law school when all this happened. So I was not drinking beer in Michigan when this happened. Um, But it was such a new venture um, that if your beer wasn't the best, it probably, you probably could have still made it because it was a new thing. People didn't really necessarily have the palates we have today. And and maybe not, I don't know. Maybe you still could have failed. But now you better have something to offer it, be it good. The beer should be good, of course, but you're professional. You should want it to be the best. Um, but you also should offer like a good atmosphere. I mean, I can say that I have a very specific, um, desires for atmosphere and this, this is a whole nother conversation, but this is where, this is where the hate's going to start coming in. Chris, I'm going to warn you right now, <laughs> the hate's going to start. I don't think kids belong in brew pubs period. And I, that is the sword I will die on. I have gotten roasted online for this. I've had people fighting with me, but at the end of the day, I'm a grown up. I'm going to swear. I'm going to drink. I'm going to say really probably some not awesome things. And it, if your four-year-old sitting there, they're going to hear it. And I don't know what to tell you, but I'm in a grown up space. So, and then there's a debate between restaurant and brew pub. Where do you draw the line? I'm a little more lenient if I'm going into a place and it has a full food menu, including like pizza and stuff. Okay. I'm a little more lenient and tolerant, but, um, at the end of the day, and like I said, this is where you're going to get all the hate mail, but I, I just, it's just, and, and I, yeah, I don't want to be like me and all my friends think, I don't mean to say that, but I will say that if I have a choice between going to a brew pub where I know it's going to be a grown up environment versus one that has uh, juice boxes on the menu, I'm going to pick the first one probably every time. So that is just something to consider. Of course, there are dozens and dozens of families who say, I want to be able to bring my kids. So they're going to go to the one that has juice boxes, and that's fine. And there's a place for both. There is absolutely a place for both. Um, But I'm just saying my preferences. Um, I think you also need to have 
having good food options, um, to me, it's not super important as long as I can order in if need be. So, but you know, and I mean, for me personally, I'm looking for really good beer and a really good atmosphere vibe as the kids say. And I mean, um, I, there are places like, I really like the beer, but I just, it's not, it's too big or it's too loud and I'm old and I'm like, uh, um, so, you know, there's, there's just all those things to consider. So to get back to answer your question, I think it's probably as easy and as hard as it ever was, but I feel like the audience is looking for maybe different things than they were 30 years ago, maybe, but mm -hmm. People keep doing it, thank God. And I'm not an entrepreneur, so thank God there are people who are willing to be entrepreneurs and start new business ventures in Michigan. This this kind of reminds me of a show that I'm just started watching right now uh, called Mad Men. If you've ever heard, oh of yeah, it. yeah. Uh -huh. And the very first episode, they are talking about uh, cigarettes and mm -hmm. uh, Lucky Strike. And um, Look, I, I don't smoke. I actually smoke cigars, um, but I've never smoked cigarettes. But they're mm -mm, trying to, neither. they're trying to um, get uh, get a new marketing campaign for uh, Lucky Strike. And I'm gonna butcher like the exact quote, but uh, uh, the main guy Draper, oh yeah, says, mm -hmm. uh, "Well, how do you how do you guys make your c cigarettes?" And, he, and the guy says, "Okay, well." Uh, we grow it, uh, we cure it, and then we roll it, and then we toast, and, he's, and then he stops them. He says, that right there, Lucky Strikes, they're toasted. And the guy says, well, everybody's cigarettes are toasted. He said, no, 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 everybody's cigarettes are poisonous. Lucky Strikes are toasted. Ooh. And I, I don't know why I just got... Um, I, I don't know why I just thought about that in regards to uh, like beer and uh, breweries, but it, it, yeah, it seems like with every, with a lot of breweries out there, you really have to like differentiate. Yes. Like you're yourself. exactly right. Yep. Um, yes. You got to have your, yes. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this too, Patty. Is it, is it, is it so bad if, and I, and I know I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I don't really drink beer, but you know, if, if I were to drink beer, is it, is it bad if I, you know, have a Budweiser or Bud Light versus, you know, <laughs> that is so funny you say that. Cause it, I did a presentation in Adrian this past summer and before it even started, there was this older guy, he stood up and he's he like, he's, it, it was great. Before it even started, he stands up. He's like, I just want to let all you people know that Paps is my favorite beer. And like, I, I think this guy legit thought like I was going to like have a hook and like pull him out of there. Like, I'm like, I'm like, I don't drink whatever you want to drink. I mean, my only thing is I just want people to know they're drinking light lagers. There's a style guide, beer judge certification program puts out BG, BJCP, and it tells you what the style should be. And uh, Labatt and Pabst and Miller and Bush, whatever, they are American light lagers to a T. If you look at that style guide, if you drink one of those, they are going to hit every single thing, color and the head and the aroma and the taste and the blah, blah, blah. Every single one, they're an American light lager, 100%. So just know what you're drinking and know there are other things out there. You may not like them. You may, like I gave him, I've given, bless his heart, my dad will try things that I put in front of him when I go to visit. Most of the time he doesn't like it. You know, he'll try it, but that, you know, just know there are other things out there. And if you're like me, like I didn't drink beer until, um, I, I drank other stuff, but 
I went to law school in Wisconsin and like at the registration, they're handing out like cans beer. And I was like, okay, whatever. And it just tasted like I was drinking cold. I just tasted the cold when I drank it. And that's fine. I mean, that's perfectly fine. And it wasn't until I got here to um, Ann Arbor and I went to Leopold Brothers, which is well, rest in peace, um, is now in Colorado. But, um, and I was like, oh my God, this actually really tastes good. And I really like this. And that's when I started realizing it wasn't that I didn't like beer, didn't really drink beer. I just didn't like what I was drinking. But if you'd like it, no, drink it, please. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, Patty, we are just over an hour. um, And this has been a a really fun conversation. Oh, thank you. I know. Thank you. It was very fun. Uh, Yeah. Thank you so much for for doing this. Um, Mm -hmm. For listeners out there where can people find you like would your uh, website be the best place to contact mm-hmm. you or connect with you yeah it's just teacher patty patty with an i.com and um it i have a list on upcoming presentations um last year i did about oh my god 35 36 presentations i think altogether i've done about this year i think i've done about five this year i've got about 10 or 12 scheduled um And I do Detroit history tours uh, once a month. The next one's coming up at the end of April. And if you're interested in Detroit beer history, um, it is very fun. We get on a bus and we go and I talk at you a little bit and then we do a beer tasting and we get on the bus and we basically do that three times. Um, And people seem to really enjoy it. The four that we've done have all sold out, which is very exciting. And yeah, I love to see people at presentations um, just and and even if I can't answer a question, which always happens, I like to then look it up and have it next time, like the, you know, just different things. But yeah, no, um, even I tell people, even if you're not a huge beer fan, I think the book has just some fun history about Michigan just in general. And, you know, take a look, libraries are carrying it and you can get it through my website or from your local bookstore or from the big giant Amazon, of course, has it. Nice. I will... I'll include links to your website and your book uh, in the description of the episode. And yeah, no, thanks again, Patty. Oh, thanks, Um, Chris. This was awesome. Please let me know anytime. Let me know. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'd love to do this again. Yeah, uh, please, please. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We can. Now I was gonna say we can have on people who want kids in bars, but I can't debate with those people because I just get very (laughs) ugly. Very. I'm. I'm really like. I'm a really nice person, but I've been told I. I can be mean when I'm like arguing something so I don't anymore so like yeah it just would get ugly so (laughs) (laughs) but no I I have if there's like brewers or something like have them on they can talk about the business way more than me because I don't really know it so that that is a great idea I definitely I would like to do that yeah I think that would make for a great interview um better better on draft is a really good uh beer podcast they're called better on draft and uh okay. i've been on there and they're like they've got really good really interesting things too so give them a little plug oh that's awesome oh thank you for mentioning that i'm gonna write yeah that absolutely down. that is really cool um again i thank you so much patty oh my pleasure chris stay in touch and let me know yeah. when this drops absolutely and for everybody yeah okay. no absolutely Um, And for everybody out there, my name is Chris. This is Cheetash. Take care, everybody.